So we like to have a little fun on this podcast, as Congo Khan can attest from our last time. But on today's episode, our fun takes a little more serious twist. Over the last couple of years, Lansing, Michigan has been ground zero for one of the largest sexual assault scandals in our country's history. The investigation, the prosecution, and the sentencing of predator doctor Larry Nasser has forever impacted this community. The hundreds of victims and their families who live nearby and the major university at the center of all of it. From the beginning, Matt Mancarini has been covering the scandal as the criminal justice reporter for the Lansing State Journal. Today, on the Cold Oatmeal Podcast, we talk to Matt about reporting true evil. Are we recording a new intro this season? Why? I'm just wondering. Are you saying that you've had enough of Sarah Humbry? No, 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 no. I, mean, I, I love Sarah. I would like to be a part of the intro. I think that right. would be nice. Well, why don't we work that little line in? That was good. Yeah. I'll, I'll find a spot for it. Welcome to Cold Oatmeal, a podcast by the Rush Strategies team about PR and public affairs. Really? I was distracted staring at Joe's Cold Oatmeal. Yeah, well, it's so here. Get it on his, it's on it's always here. It's always here. And by the way, the, the, the ratio of the fruit to disgusting is like 1 to 10. Let's get some disgusting stuff in some fruit. There's nothing disgusting. One part fruit. What's, what, what in there is disgusting? I don't even know what's in it, but it, it looks like cucumber mash. Maybe a couple of chopped apple. Did you have Burger King for breakfast? What was your? <laughs> okay, welcome back. You're listening to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. This is uh, Matt Resch. I'm the owner of Resch Strategies and uh, the host of our podcast today. Joined by my colleagues here at Resch Strategies. Nikki O'Mara. And Nick Deleuze here. Joe Beshi. Our friend Stephanie, unfortunately, is not with us uh, today, and it's not, you know, contrary to the rumors that when she saw the fact that our current our guest today uh, had covered local sports at one point in his career, that she stomped off and yelling, no more sports. That's literally what happened. That is what <laughs> happened, but then she real, she read the bio more closely and realized that that's not the only thing, that, you know, local minor league hockey was not the only thing that <laughs> our guest has covered today, so... She's actually doing um, some work for a, a client in Southfield, so is not able to be with us today, but this is the REST Strategies team. We are a public affairs and a public relations firm based in downtown Lansing, Michigan. Uh, today we're going to be talking to an ish- about an issue that has had uh, a really huge impact, not only on our community, but uh, the country as a whole. So we're eager, eager to get into that, uh, but before we do, I want to send a special thanks again to Pete Westron. I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Pete Mowry. <laughs> I've only done this 20 times. I think I should have gotten their names right by now. Uh, Pete Mowry, Brian Westron, who help us out with music for the podcast. You can reach, you can get their music on iTunes and Spotify at westronandmowry.com. I saw they keep putting out music, um, so look, look for them. Uh, Nick Piazza at nickpiazza.com also helps us out with our music. So no professional wrestlers today. Um, but someone I've wanted to have on the podcast for quite a long time. He's been busy, um, and so it's been nice that we can finally finally get uh, Matt Mancarini in the studio to talk about um, the Larry Nasser case. So today we do. We're going to talk to Matt Mancarini. He is the criminal justice reporter at the Lansing State Journal. Matt and his reporting have been at the center of the Larry Nasser case, and that's what we want to talk to him about today. Uh, Matt's from Chicago. He's been a journalist since 2011, covering news and sports in four different papers in four, for four, in four different states. Did I get all that, all that correct? Close and uh, in my mind, a fellow Cubs fan, probably 
tie. Mm. I should have mentioned that first. The most important aspect, really, yeah, of me. We're, we're down home stretch and feeling pretty good time. still. Feeling pretty you, good. Are still. you like me? I I enjoy the Cubs during the regular season, but it's, it, it hasn't happened many times in my life that they have made the postseason. But once they be, they make it, I turn into a, a, a miserable lunatic. And I, I generally am the no no worries. I don't panic during the regular season. Um, come playoffs, it's a very much more tense uh, watching experience. Yeah, I've, I've been in my old house. I had neighbors call me because it was the first time the Cubs made it. I think it was the Marlins year, the horrible Marlins mm-hmm. year, and I they thought someone was being murdered in my, in my house um, when that was all going. <laughs> Are on. they going to make it? The Bartman? They're going to make it. Okay. They're, 90, I, I well, they're ninety-nine point nine percent. As the as the as the division or like are they in the wild card race or I I don't follow baseball. They've got the wild card. They're in the wild card. For they're sure. three. They're three games up in the in the, in the division. So I, okay. I, unless things go really bad really quickly, <laughs> what? Which is the I Cubs know what none of this means. I don't know possible. what wild card is. I don't know any of this. <laughs> this is why Steph left. Steph is so this is why Steph is not here. Is Milwaukee the is are they behind them? Yeah, they're three games okay. back right they're now. The t- okay. uh, two and a half. I thought actually. I heard there was a race yeah. between those two. Oh okay. yeah, they'll make it. They'll make it. Um, and they'll probably ruin my fall. Is, is, is <laughs> yeah. You just won. You were not allowed to. I just won you after just won. Years. Yeah, you're not allowed. If, if Notre Dame won, I would be good for I think 25 years, and then I'd start to get like an itch again about it. <laughs> I, I do. I do so love how Cubs fans embrace. I suffered for 108 years. No, you didn't. <laughs> it, felt like, it felt like a how old are like you? It. Right. it felt like it. Okay, well, let's get into this. So, Matt, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Um, so, before we get into the, the talking about the, the case that you that you covered and has really probably dominated most most of your work for the last couple of years, how did you get to Lansing, Michigan, from Chicago? I took a typical and sometimes untypical journalistic journalistic path. Um, I was working in Chicago uh, for CBS Radio doing some web management stuff, decided to get a master's in journalism because newspaper industry was booming in 2011 <laughs> and, and more college debt was a, a smart investment. <laughs> uh, so I went to univer- the University of Tennessee in Knoxville to get a master's and I worked a little bit down there uh, with a local paper doing some news and, and some sports coverage. Uh, I took a job in Ormond Beach, Ormond Beach, Florida, which is a suburb of Daytona Beach, was there for about a year, and then off to Illinois, uh, Sterling, Dixon, Rock Falls area. F- for anyone who has any familiarity with uh, rural Illinois, um, and then I was there for about two years, um, and and then took a job here in April of 2015. Okay, so you've been here about three and a half. Three and, and a half, half years. years, yeah. Okay. Have you is the the cops and courts beat? always been an interest or was it an assignment that it was always an interest but that was the opening here um yeah. and it was one of the reasons why i wanted to come here um it was advertised as a, an enterprise beat so okay. less of chasing stories of the day and more of investigations watchdog work and and that has always uh, really appealed to me and so that was one of the, the really attractive things when they posted the job um and, and one of the things i've been able to do um a lot of it's been driven by breaking news the right. last couple of years um but there's a, a big focus of the paper of doing enterprise and watchdog work and, and it, it's been really great well and the, yeah, the state journal's gotten quite a bit of acc- well, i think rightfully so accolades the last few years with especially the, the coverage that you've had on, on this case so i just was going through the timeline uh yesterday of the nasser case and so you were here so it was sept- it was september of 2016 when the first uh, Correct me if I get any of this wrong, but the first real mention of Larry Nasser in Michigan State in ties to the uh, USA Gymnastics 
um, scandal were printed in the Indianapolis Star. And I'm curious, so you'd been here about a year at that point. What was... What was the what were the conversations in the LSJ newsroom like that day when you saw that story? You, it's a, Gannett, a fellow Gannett paper, so there are some connections there. What what was the chatter like about? Okay, wait a minute. They're talking about a doctor in our community and Michigan State University. So because we are owned by the same company, um, I had had a couple conversations with Tim Evans before they published that story. Um, he's one of the three indie reporters who who did the USAG package and then that first Nasser story and. I was put in touch with him just because they wanted a local reporter who could kind of give them the lay of the land in terms of how would the criminal stuff work, where would charges be, how would police departments work, just kind of the, the you know the lay of the land. And at that point, I was a couple months into a piece um, that ended up publishing in December of 2016 that looked at sexual assault and harassment at MSU. Um, it ended up wrapping in the 2014 Nasser case, but it also touched on um, experiences of four other women um, two who sued the university and, and two who, who did not. Um, so I was in the midst of that, and so they put me in connection with Tim Evans, a um, couple of brief conversations. Um, there wasn't, I don't remember that day, um, real specifically, we were in the midst of the Stuart Dunning's case at that time, which was, you know, gearing up. Uh, I don't remember if he had pleaded guilty yet or what was going on with that, but it was still the dominant story, um, at least in our newsroom. And really soon after um, the first indie story on, on Nasser, um, we were hearing from the Ingham Prosecutor's Office and the MSU Police Department that dozens more, handful, and then a dozen more had come forward immediately. And when we heard that, we knew that this is this is not going away. This is going to be you know, a really big story. Um, the Indy did a great job on the USAG piece, and the first Nasser story was really was a really well-reported story, and, and, and we absolutely believed, um, you know, the experience of the two women in that story. But when instantly there were more coming forward that quickly, um, it, it was clear this was more than just someone who had done this once or twice to, to one or two, you know, people. Um, it was going to be a much broader story. Well, it was interesting to me, and actually eye-opening to remember that when I was going through the timeline, and if anyone wants to know, I, Sports Illustrated has this really, you know, year-by-year, date-by-date timeline dating back to the, the day that um, Larry Nasser started at MSU in, in the late 90s, that even though this came out in this story in, the, in 2016, there have been cases almost as soon as he landed on campus of of re- reported abuse and people who had who had and so this is a 20-year story to make so you guys had a feeling of how big this was pretty early yeah we, we did um and within so i think september 12th was the first indie story and then they fired him on september 20th so about about eight days later which is pretty quick when you think about everything that went on i mean it was pretty quickly that they that they cut ties with him and i think the first action to fire him was actually September 16th. So it was within a couple of days. And it was then that we had found out about the the 2014 Title IX investigation. And that, when we heard that, we knew this was more than a story about one person. It, it became, for us at the LSJ, an institutional story. We knew that the story, as much as it was going to be a high-profile court case, um, it, it was an institutional story. And we needed to start to look into what MSU knew when they knew it, uh, and, and what they did. Um, and you're right. I mean, there's 1997, you know, is, is really the first documented instance of, of a woman, of a woman coming forward and saying he did this to me. Um, 
there's you know 2004 there are two instances in 2004 um 1999 to 2000 there's another um, instance in there and then obviously 2014 so there's overlapping timelines which which it's really hard as a story developed over two years is, is keeping track of what happened when um and it's kind of we peeled back this timeline kind of out of order um but over two years kind of got a pretty clear picture that this i think unsurprisingly isn't something that was uh a secret Right. You know, beyond Nasser and the people he was doing this to, it was pretty clear that people were told um, various things over 20 years. So, give us a look again into the into the newsroom. I'm curious that once you you and your editors have just have kind of determined this is going to be a big deal, and not only is it a big deal because of the crime and and the criminal in in question, but the fact that it's it's going to rock a, a foundational institution for this community. How how many people worked on it? Did you have, like, was there a, a, a Nasser team or an MSU team? Did you talk, did you kind of talk this through as a team? Were you the lead person and it was all on your shoulders? How did you manage the reporting of all the different aspects of this story? Early on, so September 2016 through December of 2016, it was really that and some of the Dunning stuff and this other package I was doing uh, on the university. And it, I got really lucky that I was working on this big piece on the university anyway. Um, and it really gave us a leg up um, and, and gave us a head start on some of the institutional re- reporting. And then I had some time off in December and I came back in January and had a quick conversation with my editor that was, this is all I'm doing, right? And it, right. Was, it was like, yes, this <laughs> is it. You focus on nothing else. Um, and so we shifted responsibilities at that point. You know, I was still covering um, the courts. I was still a cops and courts reporter. I was still covering homicide cases and and embezzlement cases and all and everything. And that shifted off of my plate onto other reporters. Um, and I just dug in on, on MSU uh, FOIA requests, um, dug in on them, uh, tracked the, the criminal cases as much as I could. Um, every piece of paper, um, you know, pulled, have a copy of, um, and then worked with an editor on, you know, short-term, mid-term, and long-term stories and made sure that, that I was focused on the institution and, and less on, on him and, and what he did. We really, it was, and this goes the credit to my editor, Al Wilson, institution, 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 and less of the easy story, which was him, and right. more of it's all on MSU. I mean, that was, for us, was the big the, the big story is what this place knew or didn't know. And at that point, we only knew of 2014, and it wasn't until January or late December that we heard of, uh, you know, a 1999 instance where, where an athlete told people um, but it was really just me and, and editors trying to kind of keep keep me focused and organized and, and on track and not get too far down uh, a tributary of a story that that you know didn't have much news value there oh there was a few times where I, I spent a couple days or a week going on a path to try to figure out what something was or if there's anything to this and it and, and we at some point had to cut ties I spent about a week or more trying to figure out what this medical procedure was that he said he was doing. There is a, there is some form of a legitimate procedure that, that is in the area of what he said he was doing. And I was trying to figure out what, what is that? How is it used? Try to explain it. Dug into some medical research. Um, and then was getting close to a story and then they dropped the charges that relates to the medical stuff. And they explained what he was doing. And he was so far outside of any reasonable 
explanation that we we just dumped that story, um, and that was a week plus worth of reporting that got trashed. And there were a couple instances like like that where we had yeah. to just cut ties on something. You kind of you may have just answered this a little bit, but I was curious as you know, being a courts and cops, a lot of you know your day to day is not it's dictated by what happens out there. How how did, were you able to break up your time between what you were able to investigate and kind of long term stuff, and then you know the urgent the you know the stuff that's happening to, on any given day, whether it was his case or another case. I was fortunate is, is my editors took everything else off my plate and they said it, it's Nasher, his criminal case and the university stuff. And that really allowed me to, to spend a day, uh, digging through something. Um, and I, we, the way I did it, I just pulled thread all the time. Um, as soon as something came to mind, I shot off a FOIA request. I constantly pulled thread and then I might not get those documents for a month, but then, you know, there's a constant flow of documents and you start to kind of piece things together. Oh, this, email means nothing to me now matched up with another email I get four weeks later all of a sudden you know there's a story and we started to kind of pull enough thread where enough things clicked um and then there was a day that or a couple of days that I would lose when he was charged or something would happen and I would get pulled away um but I was fortunate to be able to kind of balance those um to not lose momentum on the, the longer term stuff did you like doing this? Was it like an exciting thing for you to do? Or you're like, man, because I'm not a journalist, but I would be like, holy crap, I have to do this? This is an insane amount of work. I miss my <laughs> crime and embezzlement here's stuff. A, here's oh, a window into Joe's work ethic. <laughs> I, oh, I this just, is a... <laughs> but, I, but I understand like if you dream of being a journalist and breaking you know, enormous stories, like that's about as good as you can do. But I would be, I'd just be overwhelmed by it. I don't know. There were times when it was overwhelming, and there were times when I, I really grew tired of it. Um, looking back, there were times when the readership kind of ebbed and flowed in, in their fatigue of the story. I mean, there was a while that everything we did about this was filed and that was filed, people read a ton, and there was a lot of interest in it, and we could tell it, it kind of it waned after a while. And then when that happened, we go, okay, less incremental stories, and, and that freed me up to focus more on some of the the bigger scoops and, and bigger developments and longer term stuff. I don't know if I ever. I was so in it and I was just surrounded by it. Um, I don't. I didn't really think it through. Like, oh, would I rather do something else? It was always like I have to do this thing right now, and then I have to do this thing right now, and it never. I never separated from it enough to go. Boy, I would like to do a nice white collar crime <laughs> story. <laughs> um, well, what, what about after hours? There's so much human carnage in this story. It's so heartbreaking. And I mean, it hits just me as a reader. And you're you're the one sitting there talking to people, sitting across the table from them. I mean, how do you deal with that after hours? I don't have a good answer to that question. Um, and I've been asked it. Um, you become somewhat desensitized to it. Mm. And that's not a great thing um, on a personal level. But as a reporter, it can be good because I can be a little bit more cold and calculated and I can kind of section off things and uh, hear the emotion and the trauma and and get that and empathize with it and convey that to the reader without it impacting me. Um, and that was one of the advantages for me of being in it for 16 months by the time the Ingham County sentencing rolled around where there was 156 of these stories over seven days, I had heard it so much that I could kind of separate and I could convey the emotion without 
being kind of overwhelmed mm-hmm. by it. Um, but, you know, I would go and I would throw on Parks and Rec, some show I'd seen 20 times, and I could turn my brain off and watch something and didn't have to be mentally in it um, for a night. You know, I would take a weekend. If I could disconnect for a weekend, I, I, I would do it because otherwise it just it, it burns you down. Um, bourbon helps as well. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if that's the healthiest of approaches. Uh, but, it's I mean, it's hard. It wears, it wears on you. And there's a toll I'm sure it took. Um, and the other reporters, I've had a couple conversations with them. There's a toll it takes on us because it's all you think about. It's all you do every day, all day. Um, there's some toll there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was important enough where you, just, you deal with it later. You deal with how you need to. Um, take time when you can. Um, yeah, and just kind of deal with it. I don't have a, not a great answer, not the healthiest of answers. but So those other reporters, because there are... There are a a core group of folks in in Lansing and in Michigan that, that covered this, um, you know, Kate Wells at Michigan Michigan Radio. There are some local TV folks here in Lansing. Do you build it as a kind of fraternity, kind of with with those folks who you're you're covering this? That you guys help each other out, or does the competition of the new, of the news business still come into play? Where you know that isn't you don't you don't do that. Uh, I mean, there's it's a healthy competition. I think we all kind of realize that at some point. As reporters, we all want to be the first one to break the story. We want to get it right, and we want to beat our competition. But more than anything else, we want the truth out there, especially with a story like this when you have, you know, at this point, hundreds of people who were abused, and you have several major American institutions allowed it to happen. We all really just wanted the truth out there. And, yeah, there were times when, you know, someone tweets something, and I just see their name, and I'm like, oh, what did they have? Um, and you panicked, and you don't necessarily ever feel comfortable but there was a camaraderie. There is, you know, for that core group of us who were on it really early on, um, there's some camaraderie and there's some, um, you know, we knew we were, we, we kind of realized at this point we were in on something together early on. Um, you know, I remember sitting across the street um, at a Bigby Coffee in Mason after one of the early preliminary hearings and had sat in that courtroom for a day of testimony with a couple of reporters, Dan Murphy at ESPN. Uh, Madison O'Connor, who's at the State News, who's now an LSJ intern, um, and a couple others. And then we all rush across the street to sit in this big coffee and file our stories. And it was, you kind of got the sense of all right, we're all in on something. Um, and that kind of built over time um, as we're in court a lot together and we're all sitting together. Um, we're all doing the same stuff together. Kate Wells and I have, you know, I've kind of chatted and gotten to know each other over this and have great respect for what she's done. So there is a definitely a, a, camaraderie, a camaraderie at this point um, for us who've been in it for two years. So what's life like for you now? Is it a little slower? A little bit slower. Um, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> you never really know when something's going to happen. Right. Um, it's starting to ramp down. Um, you know, the lawsuit's being settled really slow. Some of the institutional stuff down. Um, I mean, it, we investigated the university for for two years there's not a whole lot in my mind left that can be mm. dug into I mean, there are areas that i still pull thread on um just to see if something happens um but it's much much slower now i mean it, it's kind of transitioning to a different phase early on it was the criminal the criminal side of it and it was the institutional side of it and then there were the lawsuits and you had it playing out in different arenas now it's shifting to the the long-term institutional how do they rebuild uh, the university? You know, new president, 
the athletic director. Um, you know, there's going to be some turnover on the, on the board of trustees. It's now shifting into that realm, which I will probably have less to do with just because I'm not an education reporter and don't really want to cover education policy. Right. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's shifting more to R.J. Wolcott, who's right. our education reporter, who's done a lot on just the transition. And that will play out, I think, over a couple of years as they just kind of retool the university in, in a different way. So you mentioned Dan Murphy <coughs> at ESPN. Um, I'm curious, as there was the camaraderie and the kind of the core group of local people who were here on the ground every day, especially when we got into the winter, I guess that was of 2017, or that was at the, the sentencing? Uh, it was 2018. 2018. January, last year. It seems like it was longer ago. So when, when, when the women started to give their, their victim impact statements, and there was that first week, and the national coverage really started to ramp up. Talk about, you know, as the local guy who'd been there from day one and all of a sudden TV trucks and, and folks are flying in from all over the place, how would you grade the national coverage of this whole issue? I'm debating how honest I want to be. <laughs> Dan Murphy's here. not a listener that we're aware of. So I have no, Dan, I, I consider Dan Murphy as one of the locals. I mean, okay. he's he works for a national big outlet. Um, he lives in Michigan. Um, and he was there, I mean, Dan was there at, early preliminary hearings when it was Kyle Stevens, when it wasn't yet mm-hmm. an athlete um, connected to charges. So I consider Dan as one of the good local guys. Um, what the frustrating thing for some of the national stuff is come January, there's 16 months of reporting on the university that I and other local reporters had done. Most of that was through public records. Um, so there's a whole lot of public records out there that they can come in and just get. And they start recreating stories that had been done for 16 months and framing it like it's some new reporting. That frustrated me um, because if they had paid attention, they would have seen it. Um, some did a better job than others. Um, they also have a different audience. You know, they're an inch deep and a mile wide. They're going to brush over everything um, and make it seem like, you know, they want to be part of the story. And so they're going to parachute in and be part of the story. Um, at the time I was, just, I was too busy to really care. Um, there were some times when it would, I didn't like all of a sudden being in a courtroom or a jury box where there's 10 TV cameras or, you know, um, and I'm kind of cramped in my corner. Um, right. but it, it was a huge story and you kind of figure that out. I mean, the second day of that sentencing, you kind of had the realization this is a major cultural event if not historical, um, in terms of what was going on and the attention being paid to it. Um, and I was just too busy to, to really care. But some of them did a better job than others. Um, so, I mean, I'm, local outlets are always going to have complaints about the national um, folks parachuting in. <laughs> um, but I think for the most part, there was a at least a, a respect uh, for the, uh, the local outlets there. The nationals really didn't kind of come in and Bigfoot too much. They kind of let us do our thing and, and, and kind of try to be part of us have you ever interviewed Larry Nasser? no I think Tim Evans is the only one who's talked to him about this stuff and that was uh for that first story do you have any desire to yeah I think I mean uh, uh, yeah because some of those threads left to be pulled on MSU I think he has answers to um and so if I ever if I had the opportunity to, yeah, I would. I would Is there a question do. you would, I mean, not to oh. put you on the spot, like, <laughs> what, what, what would be the first question you would ask him? Who else knew? Who knew what you were doing? 
uh, when do they know? I mean, some of those basic things, you know, I don't necessarily care what his explanation was um, or what he thought he was doing. Uh, you know, the, the record's pretty clear on what he was doing. Um, so I'm more curious about, you know, our whole focus has been the institution, so I'm less curious about what, what Larry Nasser thinks and more of what does he know about the university and, and, and who else knew uh, what he was doing, who did he talk to about it. Um, so I think that's probably where the, my questions would be. So the in this, I don't want to put you in an awkward spot considering you're co- still obviously covering them, but a big a big part of the secondary storyline last winter was how Michigan State was handling the public relations fallout of those couple weeks of sentencing and everything that was coming out. Um, obviously, you know, I was asked for my opinion, and many people in the PR realm were asked to kind of pass judgment on how things were going. Sitting from where you where you were sitting, I don't want to ask you to give Michigan State advice, but how I mean, how would you say that they handled it? Did you? I guess I, I don't have an awkward question here. It's like, what, what was your take on that whole kind of that secondary storyline about the MSU and how they were p- handling the public relations of this? That's a. I mean, I think it's safe to say that they, they didn't handle it well. I mean, it's, yeah. it's pretty clear yeah. at this point. Um, but from my perspective as a reporter, um, you know, I care less about the tone of their statements um, and the spin they're trying to put on it as I do about. I'm on deadline, I have a story, here's what it is, you got to get me answers, or I have a question I need an answer to. Um, so from a reporter perspective, early on I think they were receptive and, and they they got me something by my deadline, um, if not shortly thereafter. Um, so I think from, you know, as a reporter perspective, they, they weren't terrible to deal with, and for me at least, because um, I didn't really rely on them to lead the reporting. It was generally, I have a story, here's what the story says, it's based on your own records, you know, would you like to comment or explain or, or tell me, you know, how I have it wrong? Um, and generally I got a response by the time I needed it. But talking with enough of uh, the victims and their families and the civil attorneys and everyone else connected to it, um, they cared much more about the words they used and what they said and, and what they said about these women um, than I did. Not that I didn't care, is that my focus was, I've got this story, whatever you want to tell me, I need it, and I, I need to have it in there, but you know, I'm not parsing each word right. for the tone and the emotion in it. Um, there was a lot of anger at, at the way the way they said things and what they said, um, and I think that made some of the trauma worse for, for a lot of them. Because mm-hmm. it was this Oh, you're wrong. You, we didn't do anything. Um, you know, it, it was his passing of the blame and almost trying to dismiss what had happened to them. And a lot of these women and girls, because there were 15 year olds test, you know, giving impact statements, mm-hmm. they didn't know they were abused until September of 2016 or later. And so they have this trauma from being abused. They have nightmares, uh, suicidal thoughts, relationship troubles, this deep seated trauma. They don't know where it came from. All of a sudden, here's where it came from. So that adds another another layer to it. And then you're being told by an institution that you think allowed him to do this to you that they did nothing wrong, no one there broke the law. Um, that really, really bothered uh, most of them. Most of the ones that I talked to had a big problem with that. Um, and so I don't know if there's a, a case study or a way to learn from it. Their tone has changed over time. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, it's been interesting to see the way Ohio State has handled some of these stuff with the doctor, the trainer there, right. um, who, uh, you know, apparently has abused a lot of, uh, you know, wrestlers um, and with some of the Urban Meyer stuff. I think there's a different approach to these than there may have been had MSU not been kind of running through the ringer for two years. On the flip side of that, has there been anger directed at you as the reporter who's going after the beloved Spartans from people who are like, how, you know, any of that? Maybe one or two people. Yeah. None of it really stuck to me as anything I, I, I really cared about. Um, I got a couple emails. More so when any time the football or basketball program, that's right. when I would get an email. You know, um, the football program has had four players in the last year-ish charged with sexual assault. You know, I write something on that, or I try to dig into the university's timeline on that. I'm more likely to get a, an angry email or tweet or phone call about one of those than I am the institutional stuff on MSU. And I'm not sure if that's because people accept that MSU really screwed up with Nasser, or if they really just only care about the sport, you know, the men's and right. basketball and football teams. I, I, I don't that I don't have an answer to. But I never got any pushback or backlash um, on any of the Nasser stuff is it maybe we can wrap up with this unless you guys have anything else but i'm curious it, it struck me during the, the time when those when the victim impact statements were happening and we're talking about hundreds of people and a, a very how I, I get the feeling lansing feels like a very small town already but then when you started to realize that you know these girls were you know, i'll use my my own example these girls were going to twist ours at the same place where my sons play soccer and that my little son wanted to always go watch the, the, the girls doing gymnastics while his older brother was playing soccer. And, like, the degree of separation between a victim and anybody in this community is so small. And in a lot of cases, there are very few degrees of separation. As you walk around the community now, I mean, you probably are running into people all the time. Do, you, do people talk to you about the story like as, as because they're connected to a family or they know of your reporting on this? Well, That's the great thing about being a print reporter is my face isn't anywhere. <laughs> um, so, no, I don't really get stopped um, and asked about it. I think people who are news junkies, I'm sure everyone here is, and knows bylines and knows reporters. Most of the general public doesn't really know the reporter. They know the story. Um so I've no, I haven't really been stopped, um, and I kind of I don't want to be stopped because the moment I do get to go to the grocery store and I'm not thinking about it, I'm cool. I'm good with that. Um, but I do know that it's it's deeply impacted. You know, I have uh, a friend I grew up in in Chicago. Um, his wife was from Williamston. Um, it's kind of a crazy thing that I ended up w- working here after they had been married, and hearing hearing her all of a sudden talk to me about it because she started hearing about it through her friends and family from the area. And she knew it was something I was doing, but then it came back. That was interesting. Um, and kind of hearing the way that, that some people in the newsroom who grew up here um, reacted to some of the story was, was interesting. You know, I've, I've been here for three and a half years. I, I had no connections here before I moved here. Um, I'm not as deeply rooted in the community as other people are. But it was really interesting to see the way that people connected when a victim who was their same age spoke. It's like, oh, I could have been at uh, right. the YMCA with her. We could have crossed paths at some point. Um, you know, that's how close you were um, to some of these people. And, and, you know, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them who don't live here. Um, but out of the hundreds at this point, I think we're close to 400 at least. Um, a good chunk of that is right. generations. 
in the Lansing area. And so it, it's it those scars got really ripped open in January, and I think the kind of community had to figure out a way how to handle it and, and deal with it. So if you project forward, you know, Matt Mancrini, retired journalist, you think back to this episode in your career. Is there a moment in time that you're going to, that you think right now, that's the moment about this whole thing that will stand out to me as either an event or a statement or a day that will kind of always kind of be the memory you have about this? I mean, there, there was some, you know, we had some good scoops and we broke a lot of big stories and, and some stuff right after. I mean, we we were able to report the, what the second Title line ending, the 2014 case had days after one of the Ingham County sentencings, and that felt really good. Um, but I think it's going to be sitting in that Ingham County courtroom. I mean, I can still kind of f- see it in my mind when I realized that this is when I could see that these women were figuring out how much power they had. That was really incredible when they the light bulb kind of went on in their mind of, oh, people are finally listening to us. We have the world, literally the world, paying attention to us right now. They're glued to us. They're hanging on every single word. When they figured that out collectively, um, that was, I don't think I'll ever forget that. Um, And they started to take out their vengeance on the university, on Twistars, on USAG. Um, and that was really, it was really incredible to, to watch firsthand. Uh, and so I think, yeah, it's, you know, 20, 40 years down the road that I think is what it's going to stick out to me. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for um, having me. Again, we wanted to, wanted to have this conversation with you for, for a while and, um, appreciate you taking the time to do it and, um, go Cubs, go Cubs. <laughs> So we got some housekeeping items to take care of, some big announcements, some new people we've met, um, but wanted to um, talk a little bit about the fact that we did introduce and announce the recipients of our Leadership Lansing Fire Rest Strategy Nonprofit Scholarship. Uh, Nikki helped get this out uh, a couple weeks ago, but it's a scholarship that we, we fund with the Lansing Chamber of Commerce for nonprofits in the Lansing area to go and learn how to be leaders in the community. And so the uh, Hospice of Lansing, and this is a mouthful of an organization, but I think it's, it's an exciting one, Transformation Gems Women Entrepreneurial Startup Accelerator, a new nonprofit that's helping um, minority women uh, start businesses. Awesome. And yeah, so awesome. Andy uh, from Hospice of, of Lansing and Carmen Thomas from Gems will be Enrolled in the new class at Leadership Lansing for the uh, Lansing Chamber. Okay. That's cool. I got to go uh, play Santa Claus a couple of Fridays <laughs> ago, and um, I didn't have a big fat blow up check, but it was just a little check. But you know. D- does an experience like that, when you're handing a check to someone, does it reinforce to you why all of our clients like to go hand big checks to people? I do. It was fun. Yeah. I got to I got to take the pictures and smile and and post them for the world to see. Right. So we'll be, we'll check in with them uh, throughout the throughout the rest of the 
throughout the rest of the year as they go through their class. The other exciting bit of news, we got an award. Yes. We aren't we aren't ones who to go after awards, but when our clients ask to, to submit applications, we happily accept the winning awards. We got an award for our work with the Michigan Sheriff's Association and the Chiefs of Police and a number of school groups on the school safety initiative that we worked on last spring to get some money for uh, new resources in schools. So that's exciting. Awesome. Yeah. As soon as I write a check, I'll have a trophy that we can have <laughs> here on the... Yeah. Uh, is it going to rotate through the office? Like three months on your desk, three months on Joe's, I think so. We should like take it around. It's, right. our, it's our one and only trophy. We each get a weekend with the trophy. We can do anything with it, like the Stanley Cup. We could. Mm-hmm. Flat like Stanley. Plan. I was thinking like Flat Stanley. We can take the trophy around and like mail it to people and then take pictures of it in front of... What's the I reference? Can't. What's Flat Stanley? Flat, oh, a you children's guys, book. It's oh. a children's book, and it's a common school project where you get a cut-out piece of paper called Flat Stanley, and you mail him to faraway family and friends, and they take pictures of him in front of the Eiffel Tower or, or the... Um, oh. It's like Elf in a Shelf, but through the mail? But through the mail, yeah, and then you get... And all year round. And all year round, and you get Flat Stanley back, and then you're supposed to take it to school and show all the different places where Flat Stanley has been. Okay. So we could make this the flat trophy. Well, three-dimensional trophy. That's <laughs> <laughs> yes, a Michigan Society of there Association Executives trophy. Nice. Travel trophy. Um, the third bit of news, this, is ex- this was exciting. Had a little team outing uh, last night. Went over to the luxurious U Club yeah. for some... Go green. It was really nice. It was very nice. Why were we yeah. there, Nikki? We were there for the 10 over the next 10 awards presentation. I was a nominee. I uh, did not win. But, you know, it's an honor just to be nominated. I hear that. I, I've heard that a few times. <laughs> I that, feel it in my soul. Been, now that you have had the honor of being nominated, does it feel the same? Not, does, does it? No. I feel <laughs> <laughs> my life has turned upside down. Well, at least you didn't get up and storm out. I didn't. That would have been I, I, I kept my cool. I was tempted. There, I, there, yeah, there was. There was some of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is, yeah. So, you know, you got to take it with grace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and things don't go your way. That's right. It happens so infrequently. Things don't go your way. That's not I think true. the shocking <laughs> I, the shocking part of last night was to learn and I I probably knew this, but the whale the whale actually won that thing. Did he? Once. Well, yeah. Didn't she? Four years ago. Years ago. Years ago. Twenty fourteen. Was he part of the inaugural class? I don't think of the whale. No, as it's been six years. Okay. I know all about this now. Okay. Started in twenty twelve, I believe. So right. he was Two years Congratulations after. to him. He ma- he made a big splash all those years back. <laughs> he did, and romantically he did it. He r- about as unromantically. I was. Ex- <laughs> it could have been a very romantic moment, but right. he he it didn't. Uh, he kind of sniffled and coughed, and choked a little Sorry bit. Sorry about my uh, voice, uh, guys. Yeah, I was sick, but got to announce that his wife, Joe's sister, um, Catherine, who was a, a Cold Oatmeal podcast alum, that's right, uh, was one of the ten over ten. Nice. Congratulations, yeah. real, Catherine. Real power couple. Yeah, yeah right. they are. And By we the got way, to meet the whole Beshi family. That, yes, well, you we just did. stole my, the highlight oh. of my, my four pieces oh, sorry, of housekeeping. Oh, sorry, I couldn't wait. I was too excited. <laughs> well, if anybody but, saw your tweet, they would know. Anyway. Right. Well. But before we get to the housekeeping, the fourth piece, though, just I think we've stumbled on a secret that if you're a participant in the Cold Oatmeal podcast, you're like exponentially more likely to be nominated or to win a 10 over 10 award. Right. Well, actually, so here's another thing. So Catherine gets that, right? Right. 
she and she wasn't even a full-fledged guest she was just a guest host and look what happened to her but then this last week you saw in the lansing state journal jeremy sampson he he talked last december when he was on talking about lansing united and told us about how he was working to find a funder to bring a professional soccer team to lansing uh and lo and behold this week uh, partnering with the folks who run the lug nuts and they're going to be bringing a professional soccer team. And he talked about it here, I think, one of the very first times publicly on the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. That's the right. karma That's is awesome. real. Yeah. And also the, the young woman from the Department of Corrections, she's been involved in their podcast. So it's kind of like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. That's um, right. That you come on the podcast and good yeah. things happen. Yeah. There's a, one of the favorite podcasts I listen to likes to joke because a lot of the people they have on sh- die shortly after their guests. Oh, no. And so it's, it's good that, like... What podcast what? is that? Like the Dan Levitard show. So they have this thing, because Alan Thicke was a regular guest. He died, like, a week after he was a guest. Okay. And there were two other people, I think, that were j- were regular guests who came on, and a week later, they were done. L- look out, yeah. Tim Kirkchin. Yeah. So you be careful. Yeah. So, lastly, we met the Beshi parents. That was awesome. Yeah, they're so nice. They're fantastic. They're, they're really nice. And Bobby, we oh, don't Bobby. try to re- it's a great re- don't reinvent history now. Like you can <laughs> take back all the things you've said all these what years. What am I saying? I mean, I'll I'll be the first to admit I'm the worst person in my family. But um, yeah, they all they all liked you very much. It was fun. Uh, yeah. Your mother especially is delightful. Yes, she is. My mom's like me. My my dad is the one. She who seemed nothing like loves you. to yeah. loves to schmooze and chit chat my mom's a little more yeah. to herself but yeah your dad was your dad was was great i didn't get a chance to talk to your mom much but what were the results of your 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 dating conversations with with joe's mom she, oh, she begged me to help really I, I told told her i felt a little powerless i don't believe you she she said please can you introduce him to someone like i don't think that's the problem mrs Bessie. i think he meets lots of nice people but you know, know she did not appreciate my theory which I shared with her that that Joe, the ultimate cynic and hard-nosed guy, is going to meet and marry someone who likes unicorns and rainbows oh and little boy. care bears and hearts and stuff like that. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think it is. And she, the look on her face, I it was it was pretty. Good. I can buy into that theory because I think that Joe Joe. The, the flip the flip side of that is like is the Seinfeld episode with Janine Garofalo. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that I don't I can see Joe like initially dating someone just like him and then after about 2 weeks they decide that they hate each other. Yeah. And so he needs to go back to the to the unicorns. Yeah. This is fun for me. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun for us too. Well, I think you should let us fill out your profile oh yeah that'd be fun in in the meantime though i do want to want to thank um bobby and mrs beshi for making my night last night when they they both approached me to thank me for turning them on to die hard which i you know i I felt a little bit like a like a very secular missionary of sorts and uh, i'd done a good deed and they they enjoyed the movie (laughs) on my recommendation so um, you're welcome probably really did tickle you it did absolutely (laughs) yeah well, congratulations, Nikki. We are proud. Oh, thanks so much. We're proud of you being nominated. Thank you. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, and you made the first cut. I made the first. There cut. were five people who didn't make. Yeah, the there first were cut. five. For, yeah. Yeah. So you know, me and the forty-nine others. So. Feeling good. Well, I want to thank uh, Matt Mencarini uh, from the Lansing State Journal for uh, what I thought was a great conversation about a really tough topic and 
uh, the work that he's been doing, I think we talked after he left, is one of the, I think, the most enjoyable might not be the right word, but in, uh, interesting no, was good. conversations we've had with, with someone in a while. So, Matt, thanks for coming on. Hope you'll do that again. Um, I want to thank uh, Brian Western and Pete Mowry, Nick Piazza for help with the music. And want to ask, as you are listening to the podcast, share it with people who you think might like it. Uh, give us some reviews, um, some star ratings on iTunes if you tend to listen on iTunes. Um, and we will talk to you again next time. Thanks a lot. you